Please be seated. And just for a few moments, we're going to look back at the psalm uh, on page 518, if you've got the Bible. Um, and it's part of our uh, theme of summer psalms. Where we're just uh, individually looking at no particular order, no particular uh, choices that we're making. We're just looking at some of the different psalms uh, from uh, the Old Testament. Now, scanning around this evening, uh, uh, I'm hoping that there wasn't probably not that many here this evening, in fact, I can maybe count in one or two hands, uh, who were in church the last time I preached from the psalm, which is good. I'm glad. But the last time I preached from the psalm, I called it Singing the Blues. Uh, And that was a good title. Um, And this evening, we called it From the Depths, uh, uh, because uh, it's the same theme that comes through. And the great thing about this psalm, or psalms like this, are they, they're experiential. They, they, they speak into our personal experience. They help us to um, verbalize and understand and quantify uh, the battles and the struggles of, of faith. And they're soul songs. That's what they are. Uh, and that's really great. We need more of that in our lives. We need more soul singing and more understanding of uh, the expressions that sometimes we might be uh, fearful of verbalizing or don't think it's legitimate for us to do so uh, before God. And the Psalms are great for that because they uh, allow our doubts and our unspoken fears and our failures that very much, if you're a Christian, mark your Christian life. Uh, Then uh, it certainly mark my Christian life. Uh, and it allows us to take these experiences and it uh, reminds us of what we're to do with them as we take them to the living God and express them and uh, speak His own truth back to uh, Himself and to us. And that's why I think it's very important that we continue to understand psalms and sing them and use them because praise must also embrace our tears They must embrace the sadness that we go through in life. Um, I think the the singing of hymns and spiritual songs for us uh, provide a balance sometimes. Um, But what they don't do, or or seldom do, or maybe are doing a little bit more now than they certainly didn't used to, is uh, they found it, a lot of hymns find it difficult to express deep failure and deep doubt, and deep sin. Uh, And the Psalms are great for that. Uh, And we can often be slow in expressing pain. The soul can sometimes be missing from our praise. We think praise always needs to be happy, but praise can be incredibly painfully tearful and repentant. And you see that soul, you see that soul in, in, in African-American music, gospel, um, rhythm, and jazz. And it often express, the, the greatest songs often express not happy experiences, uh, but suffering and loss and uh, guilt and failure. We see it a lot in, you know, traditional Scottish songs, Massacre of Glencoe. You know, Loch Lomond, we all dance around the, 
the dance floor at a wedding and sing Loch Lomond. It's, it's not a happy song. It's a song of sorrow and loss and uh, unrequited love. And it, there's tremendous pathos uh, in song in these ways. And it's important for us to express in song and learn uh, from the Psalms how to express our own uh, guilt and our own failure and our own uh, need of Christ. It's as much worship as exaltation and praise, and it binds us together. Uh, <clears throat> I've said this often here, nothing, not, nothing original, but uh, you know how powerful singing can be at a funeral. Sometimes the most powerful sense of emotion and unity and uh, togetherness will be a time of great sorrow if you can actually manage to sing through the emotion of, of the event. Uh, there's amazing power and amazing healing, actually, in that. And uh, psalms, these psalms are, 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 are great. They're Monday morning psalms. They're psalms for the, the life that we go into week to week. Um, they speak into our suffering, and particularly here, the psalm speaks into a sense of guilt and, and sin um, and repentance, often too rare, I think, in our uh, spiritual experience. We maybe underestimate the value and the significance and the healing from a life of repentance, constantly coming back. With His light, as His light shines and His truth shines, you, you know, could you read that passage that we read in Colossians without a sense of uh, inadequacy and repentance uh, at the lack of love and compassion and forgiveness that we often show in our lives? And we call out to the living God uh, who receives uh, our pleas and forgives us. But this is, as it says, it's a pe well, it doesn't it says it's a song of ascents, but it's generally regarded also as one of the seven penitential psalms, one of the psalms that uh, particularly express individual uh, sense of need for forgiveness and uh, repentance. And, and it's very important. It's regarded as a psalm that reaches into the very core, the very foundation of our faith and our relationship with God. So, if you, you look at a psalm like this, if I look at a psalm like this and we can't empathize with uh, the spiritual expressions that come in, if we can't see um, and associate with them, then there, we should question uh, our relationship, what, what our relationship with God is like and why there isn't this element uh, in it. And, and maybe it will cause us to, to again consider where, we're, where we are with God and, and what uh, he looks for in, his, in our relationship uh, with Him. But as it says in its own introduction, it is also one of the songs of ascent. So, it was one that we, we looked at these psalms before, psalms for the journey, psalms that would be sung by the people of Israel as they went up to one of the three festivals of the year in Jerusalem. On their journeys, they would sing. It's a great thing to sing on the journey. Uh, you remember it in the car, all the kids in the back singing, wheels of the bus. Um, and we sing, and we sing on a journey. It passes the time, and they use these songs to learn more about their God, learn more about the history of their God and the history of their people as they went up to celebrate, uh, as they went up to festival. But it's different from the other songs of Ascent. It's intensely personal. 
Most of the other songs are very corporate, very collegiate, but this is a, a, an intensely personal psalm, which is great, because it reminds us that even in the Old Testament, there was this real personal element to uh, a relationship with God. It wasn't simply a corporate uh, faith of, of a people, but there was this uh, intensely personal reality as part of the Old Testament uh, worship. And as they, uh, uh, as they neared Jerusalem and as they worshiped together, there was this reminder uh, of their own personal responsibility before the living God, of their own need for Him, their own need for forgiveness and grace and mercy. And we don't know uh, the experience uh, behind this psalm when it was written, and that's, that's kind of good because it gives a, a generic value uh, for people of faith through the centuries. Um, but it, it does um, reflect uh, an intense uh, personal relationship uh, between the individual believer and his living God. It's tremendous at that level. Um, it's like there's Okay, they're on a journey. There's lots of people around them. But as they read this or think this or sing this psalm, it's like there's nobody else in the world. It's you and your God. And that's how it needs to be often in our lives. It doesn't matter where we are, who we are. It's between you. You need to do eyeball to eyeball with the living God. The reality of that relationship, which I'm so out of the way of preaching twice on a Sunday that you'll find I'll be repeating what I said this morning. And there'll be overlaps because I'm failed and fallen. But interestingly, uh, there's the, also the great fusion of truth that I didn't realize I'd be doing the verse morning, and I, I, I didn't plan to, uh, for it to dovetail with this psalm this evening. But it's very similar to what we were talking about this morning in terms of that, that individual personal, silent relationship with God where we spend time in His company. Psalmist is here bearing his soul. And aren't we grateful for that? Aren't we grateful for the, the Old Testament greats and the New Testament greats who actually bore their soul and who expressed uh, guilt, uh, often David? Aren't we grateful for David and grateful for Paul for the way that they expose their souls, this intensely personal reality, uh, before the kingdom and the world of uh, believers right through the centuries for our benefit, that God, the Spirit, allowed that to be the case. And the psalmist here bears his soul, and it's a privilege for us to read that because it matters. It matters because we're given access into the individual holy of holies, in that relationship with God that should reflect our own individual walk with the living God. And so we find here that the psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea, pleas for mercy. That's all that matters to the psalmist, that God hears him. Hear me, O Lord. Be attentive. Listen. God, I need you to listen to hear what is going on. It's, I'm, I'm not interested in the other people in the journey. I'm not interested in the other people around me. It's, it's that famous 
it's that famous uh, ascription of David to God, against you, you only have I sinned. And it's that recognition that it is to God that we are accountable and it's to God that we speak. And so that the best church relationship wouldn't do it for you. Your best uh, uh, book that you read wouldn't do it for you. It's the spiritual disciplines of you and I being in God's presence, praying out our soul to Him, and God Himself hearing our voice, and us pleading that this God hears us. It's a, there's a boldness, there's a, a, a desperation, uh, uh, there's an absolute living reality about what He's saying. And He's saying, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Hear the voice of my pleas. You know, that, that's that's a very powerful thing. He's desperately longing for God's attention. Lord, can you, sense, can you sense the tone that I'm speaking to you with, the inflection, the intonation behind the pleas? Can you hear my voice? You know, our voice expresses so much of, of, of the seriousness or uh, the, the depth of what we're saying, and He wants, he wants uh, God to hear His voice, the cry, and the cry behind the cry. It's great. It's legitimizing for us an encouraging vulnerability and soul expression and doing it individually but as part of the community, saying this is how we should be as a community, as individuals before God, and we should recognize that that is part of who we are in our uh, corporate faith. Uh, individually, we have this relationship as soul expression. It's the reality of vulnerability. God, God has no real time for uh, stoicism, and for the stiff upper lip, and for the constant sense of, yeah, everything's okay with me, I'm going fine. He wants and He encourages throughout His Word that great sense of vulnerability, that great sense of openness before Him. And that should be part of, uh, that should be reflected in the believing community. So, it's this great, um, intensely personal uh, cry to the living God, which uh, should mark our own relationship with God. It should be intensely personal. It should be things you will say with God and to God that nobody else in the universe would hear. You have that relationship with Him because He knows everything. He understands it. He knows exactly where we're coming from. It's heart-rending, this particular psalm. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. This is someone who's called, you know, we've often said it here, the depths… Uh, for the, for the Jewish believer, it was, it was a place of real depths of water. Uh, it was a place of danger and separation and chaos and, to, uh, and fear, a bad place. And he's really using it as an illustration of a, a place of spiritual darkness and foreboding. Now, we know that life can plunge us into many depths, whether it be illness, and maybe some are facing that this evening, or poverty, or depression. But this is this is, distinct, this is distinctly spiritual. Uh, this is about the condition of the psalmist's heart. I don't think it's about a, a, an outward circumstance or a, a physical ailment or, or anything like that. It's, it's more about someone who's come to recognize their position before the living God. They are sinners before the living God. Oh, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? And that's a very important part of the, the life of faith that we're encouraged to have. Uh, it's to deal with the depths of our own heart and to recognize 
how unworthy we are before the living God, and how far short we fall of His glory. Um, and that, that's very important. I'll come to that in a minute. Um, because if we are faced with guilt or faithlessness, if we open God's Word, and we, maybe you read Colossians this evening and you thought, or some other part of Scripture, and you acknowledge, I'm very far from the living God. I'm very far from His standards. I'm very far from His love. And I don't love other people even minutely like He calls me to. And if there's that sense of guilt and faithlessness, we can run from that. And we can smother it. We can simply close our Bibles and say, wow, I'm as good as the next person. And if that's how we respond to uh, the conviction that God's Word brings into our hearts, we'll never know His healing, His closeness, and growth. We'll never know that transformation we were speaking about this morning, because it all involves that. It involves the intensity of a personal uh, relationship with a God who's transforming and renewing us. Renewing us. It's about recognizing we're redeemed and forgiven forensically, that we stand innocent before the living God as far as our guilt is concerned, but that He is doing a transformative work within us, and He calls us to a life of repentance. It's unpopular, and it's, it's not uh, mentioned enough today, but it's a great way to live that He calls us to. C.S. Lewis puts it very well, paradoxically. Not paradoxically, he puts it well, but he puts uh, the reality of this well, which is a paradox. When a man is getting better, when a person's getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. Now, that's a great… Uh, that, that needn't be a, a clear trajectory. Many times in my life when uh, I, uh, I'm getting worse, and I simply don't understand my badness, uh, and I understand it less and less. But there are other times when uh, I'm more aware of His light shining into the darkness, and the cleansing, and the renewal, and the transformation that He brings. It is paradoxical, but it's a beautiful paradox. Deep places beget deep devotion. Spurgeon cites James Vaughan, and I'm sorry, I don't actually know who James Vaughan is, but I'm sure he was a good man, uh, if Spurgeon's quoting him. But he says, everyone who prays, uh, everyone prays, sorry, but very few cry, and he speaks about this verse. But those who do cry to God, the majority would say, I owe it to the depths. I learned it there. And that's a, that's a great truth for us, that there speaks people who get it. I think legalists and moralists who fail, they just run away. They run away because their God is too small to forgive them. Their God is harsh and demanding. They've never understood grace. But even if you've done something that overwhelms you with guilt and despair, as you cry out to the Lord for mercy, you will come from that and say, I owe it to these depths. I see the breadth and the height and the length and the depth of His grace and His mercy because it's, it's subsumed, it's overcome my guilt, and it's redeemed and forgiven me. Uh, and that is, that is a wonderful experience to know uh, the mercy of God. 
So it's a heart-rending cry that we have here in the psalm. And it's also the kind of clashing and embracing of two worlds that are uh, uh, they don't often clash today in our experience. First is unquestionable guilt, and the second is unimaginable redemption. These two beautiful things come together, um, and it's the embracing of two worlds in many ways. Unquestionable guilt, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, who can stand? Uh, it's this reality that <clears throat> if God was to ke- keep watch over the, the wrong things we do and say, we would have absolutely no opportunity of standing. There's unquestionable guilt. There's no hope. When, as we come to God's Word, as we see if, how He reveals Himself, the depth of His love, uh, the depth of His uh, commitment to us, the depth of His character, His otherness, His purity, His justice, His generosity, and our accountability, we, we see and we understand our own ugliness spiritually, the darkness of our motives and of our heart, the selfishness and the lovelessness of Him and the loveless, lovelessness of one another. And it's searching. And it's unseen. We can be the nicest people, and we can comparatively be better than most people. But this is as we compare ourselves to the, the character of a pure, infinite, holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving God, I, I, don't, I can't even put them into words, and I don't know, none of us know, the purity and glory of His perfection. But we do sense times uh, when we recognize our own guilt before the holy God, the judge of all the earth, before whom we will stand, and it evokes a weighty cry. And I think that weighty cry is missing from a lot of our Christian living. That cry uh, of who can stand? Who can stand before this God? I think often we think, meh, I can probably stand. I can probably walk before Him. I'm not so bad. And we don't truly appreciate that it took the sovereign, infinite, triune God to become flesh, to enter the womb of Mary, to live for 30 years in perfection, and to be nailed to a brutal cross and face the wrath of hell. The only way that we could be redeemed. It took that much. He didn't just write a check. He didn't just wave his fingers and his hand from heaven. See, it's okay, you're forgiven. It took this holy God to walk in this ugly world and to die and to no resurrection. So there's unquestionable guilt that's spoken of here. Who can stand before him? But then there's this great truth of forgiveness. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared or worshipped. It's unimaginable mercy of God. That's a great beauty of the gospel. Uh, it's the great recognition that we have that Jesus Christ takes the price and He offers us His mercy, offers us uh, a return to relationship with Him. As we saw this morning, that doesn't just affect our lives here, but affects our eternal destination and the future provision that He's made for us. And that's the reality 
of enjoying and experiencing mercy, which transforms how you speak to your colleagues tomorrow. It's going to transform how you speak or think about when your car breaks down on the A9. It's going to transform when you get news <coughs> about terminal illness. It's going to transform when you let someone you love down badly and cheat on them. It's transform how you respond and how you deal with that because you're recipients of mercy. Recipients of mercy. And that transforms how we deal not only with life but with one another. As we're saying to the children, so only as we understand how much we've been forgiven do we look at people in a different light. If you're looking down on people, if you can't be bothered with people, if you judge people, it's because we don't understand our own hearts. That's why when we're taking the place of God and we take that place of judgment, it's because we've never understood our own hearts. And the new reality for us as we experience that mercy is the willingness to wait on the Lord. Five times he goes on to say, and speak to his own soul. That's a great thing to do. <clears throat> if you're not listening to broadcast podcasts and if you're in silence, you're allowed to speak to your own soul. That's a great thing to do. Uh, if you weren't here this morning, you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, uh, take that time of silence and speak to your own soul. Great Psalms are always speaking to themselves. Speak it to your own soul. Speak into it. And uh, uh, wait. encourage your soul to wait on the Lord in, a, in that obedient relationship because it speaks about this picture of the more than the watchman wait for morning, and it's repeated uh, for emphasis. It's a recognition that there's darkness. We go through darkness. The darkness of the night can be a rotten time. If you can't sleep at night, for whatever reason, the morning can sometimes feel a long way away, and the night can be, seem very long, but the morning comes. And uh, there's that same picture here that uh, we're to have that perspective and, and recognize that the morning with the light of the morning brings a different picture onto what we've been thinking and considering during the night. And we're to trust God through these times and, and to uh, obediently wait on Him. And then, uh, as we conclude, uh, the psalmist takes that personal experience <clears throat> and, uh, as it were, uh, snaps out of that personal walk where it's only him and God on the, the journey, and he looks around and says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And there's that movement from personal relationship and personal redemption and forgiveness that uh, is shared uh, with the covenant communities back on the road and we're called to take our individual Christian lives uh, and never to simply glory in that, but to uh, take our testimony and to share it and to, to pass that on to others around us and to say, this is what God has done for me. You too can hope in Him. So we pastor one another and we share our spiritual experiences with one another. You say, look, the Lord, He can be trusted. You know that? He's taken me through the darkness of the night, and you can trust Him as well. Morning will come. It will uh, when I went into ministry 35, I think I've said this recently, 35 or 36 years ago, I met an old 
Um, no, no, sorry, that's a different story. Um, I had, I was in the, I'd been in the ministry for quite a long time, and I went for advice to an, an, an older pastor over some difficulties that I was going through. And he said, Derek, always remember, he said, it will pass. It will pass. Difficulties will pass. It's a very simple piece of advice. It's not very profound, but there are many times that I've remembered that. In the difficulties and darkness, it's like waiting for the Lord uh, for the morning to come. She says, it will pass. It will pass. And we remember that because, because of His steadfast love, His covenant love, His Hesed love, which is sealed at the cross. And when He says, look, you have my word. It's etched in my blood. I can't do any more for you. You're doubting my love. You're doubting my forgiveness. I've given you my son. I can't do any more. It's sealed. It's a settled reason and will of the Trinity that you know forgiveness and that that has been paid for. The pra- paid in full. Remember that, paid in full. You don't need to keep jumping back and jumping through hoops for the living God. He says, paid in full. That is why we trust in His mercy. And we know and can be assured of uh, His forgiveness. But with you there is forgiveness. And in verse 8, he goes on to say again, uh, He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. That's a great message. It's a message that people that are not Christians need to hear. More than anything, and they need to hear it because it's real to us. It's not, the, it's not just a kind of theoretical, theological reality for us. But because we have undergone and gone through as Christians the same journey as the psalmist here, that we can say that with confidence as we share it with others. That in, You will meet people this week, I'm guaranteed you'll meet people this week who are in despair, who are full of guilt, who are empty, who are lost, looking for belonging, don't know what to do with life, don't know how to deal with the mistakes they've made, uh, can't understand a sense of guilt. And we need to tap into that. But we will only ever be able to do that if if it's real to us and if we've known that and experienced it ourselves. And so that is my prayer for myself and for you, that we are people who begin to live out Uh, the experience of this psalm for ourselves and learn from it and uh, pray that God will apply it to our own hearts and that we go back again and again to His Word, which is the only place where we can compare ourselves with Him and where our conviction and our repentance will come from. Let's pray. Father God, help us to go to You and to go to Your Word. We know that when the Bible is closed, that uh, we fail to see ourselves as you see us, and we skip around uh, in the shallows of life and lose out much of the blessing and live with a weak and uh, crumbling faith so often. So give us the courage, Lord, to allow the light of your Word to shine into the deepest corners, the darkest corners of our hearts, to expose the motives that are so often self-centered and uh, loveless for God and and full of uh, disordered love for ourselves and proud and uh, so many uh, impure motives. 
that, Lord, we allow Your Word to take, uh, expose, and for Your amazing mercy to forgive. And as we know that, we know cleansing and healing and wholeness, and there's much more room for the Holy Spirit in such a heart. So, enable us to be uh, believers uh, that mirror uh, the personal testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 130 increasingly, and go before us and speak into our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen.